Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey you, and welcome back to the School of Unlearning podcast. Today, I'm really excited to sit down with author and thought leader on human connection and friendship, Kat Velos. In a world where friendship and community feel transient and so different from how any of us have imagined our worlds would be at this time, Kat Velos helps us break open human connection with a refreshing approach and perspective on how we can forge and maintain friendships, even as they shift and as they change. In this episode, we cover how Kat came about the work of researching human connection, what she's actively unlearning in her relationship with productivity and enough, and how we can more intentionally build communities and friendships that help us move through life. And I don't know about you, but I do think if there was ever a time where we all needed to reframe human connection and learn practical tools on how to intentionally build community, this would be it. Here's a little background about Kat. Kat's a connection coach and trusted expert on the power of cultivating meaningful friendships. In her former career as a user experience designer, she researched, designed, and advised on the user experience of countless flows in digital products serving millions of people at companies like Slack and Pandora. With a publication of her books, We Should Get Together and Connected from Afar, Kat turned her background in UX design towards combating the loneliness epidemic to help millions of people experience greater wellness and fulfillment through thriving platonic relationships. Her interviews can be found in a variety of publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Communication Arts, Thrive Global, and more. Kat's also a sought-after speaker who has graced the stages of TEDx, San Francisco Design Week, Design for America, and more. I know you're going to love this episode. I did too. It felt like a breath of fresh air and gave me many practical tools on how to go out there and intentionally form the community that I want to be a part of. Enjoy. Hi, Kat. Welcome to the School of Unlearning podcast. Hey, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm stoked to get into your body of work. I've been following your work for some time, and what really spoke to me months ago was um, the interest in community building and relationships, in particular adult friendships, something I think all of us, especially in the last couple of years, are feeling the effects of, you know, relationships feeling strained and distant and coming back together. So I'm really excited to share your work with our, with my audience because everyone's feeling uh, the same sentiment around wanting connection, but not knowing how to go about it. So stoked to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very relatable, very real for so many people right now. Yeah. So um, on the School of Unlearning podcast, what I'd love to do is just help, you know, my audience and your audience sort of understand your, you know, your season of becoming, your story of becoming to be this thought leader on connection and relationships. And I know that in our life, we meet all kinds of really cool people. Um, and some of these people are family, sometimes they're teachers and coaches and friends or even authors who we admire. So I'd love to know just, you know, who was someone who, you know, left an impression on you? And this doesn't have to be from childhood, could it be from adulthood to who's left an impression on you that kind of helped guide, you know, your worldview or the way you you showed up at that time? Yeah, I love this question. I feel really lucky to have had a lot of people in my life that have left an impression on me and that are in many ways a part of my journey, even though they're maybe many years in the past. Um, and the person who comes to mind 
now is uh, in my early 20s, I did a couple years of AmeriCorps. And the director of the AmeriCorps program that I was in was a woman named Mondo Holsinger. And she was such a powerful, positive influence, um, not just for me, but for the hundreds of AmeriCorps members that worked with her, probably thousands. I don't know. She's she's just somebody who had been really dedicated to service, mm -hmm. um, which for those who don't know, AmeriCorps is uh, sort of like the Peace Corps, but it's domestic. And so you go into uh, 10 months of service and you work in communities and you do all different kinds of things. Um, the program I was in was an education-based one. Mm -hmm and community building. And the reason why she comes to mind and, and the impact that she had was really around the way that she brought herself to the world and brought herself to that work. Mm -hmm. She is somebody who probably more than like anyone I've ever met um, really demonstrates like this amazing blend of commitment and care and excellence. In, in the things that she does um, and the way that she leads her teams and the way that she brings other people like to their greater levels of, of excellence and expression. And she's just, she was just such an amazing uh, person to get to meet and to work for. And honestly, like set a very high bar very early in my adulthood for mm -hmm. what good leadership and what a good, good boss looks like and what a good uh, mentor looks like and, and, just such an incredible person. Yeah. I feel really lucky to have gotten to know her. Amazing. Um, it's really important we have those people. And, you know, again, it sounds like she really helped shape your sense of social justice and leadership and how you show up in the world. Do you, does she follow the work you do these days? Do you know, or are you guys in touch? I'm always curious how these bonds stay connected or um, if they do. No. I mean, after, I think after I left AmeriCorps, we might have stayed in touch for, you know, every now and then over email, but mm -hmm. you, this is a person who's like so committed to her work and it's such an incredibly big job. Like mm -hmm. She's busy yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was moving on with the rest of, of my life uh, and, and that was that. And we've talked a couple of times over the years, but it's also like, just pleasant to know that she's out there and yeah and to know that she's continuing that work she's unlike a lot of people in this day and age too she is someone who like stayed in her work mm. and and her role for like years and years and years and years and years like a lot of people bounce around and they change but like this is an example of her commitment right like she's she's kept doing like a lot of, of the same work for a very long time amazing yeah and so it's really special to know that she's still out there. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that sense of comfort too. I've had a few coaches and people in my life who I just knowing that they're still coaching. I mean, I played sports in college and high school and those were very influential relationships. And just knowing that they're continually having an impact on young people has, you know, it provides some like sense of, you know, uh, safety and trust in like the profession they chose and how that continues to like shape other people, you know? Um, so I'm interested too, as you moved along in life, like what years of life do you think you learned the most about who you are and what you care care about? Was it those years in AmeriCorps or were there other years that were really influential about you understanding what mattered most to you? Uh, no, it was before that. Um, I would say the first few years after college were when 
I began to learn the most about who I was and the things that I cared about because in those first few years after college, it's it's like you're a young adult and you're free, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you have a job and you're trying to figure out how to, how to live your life and be an adult, but it's the first time in life where you get to focus on what you want to focus on. You get to learn about what you want to learn about and mm-hmm. not necessarily what your schooling dictates or other like authority figures in your life dictate. Um, and so that those first few years of young adulthood after college were when it all just really just unfolded in terms of what I was learning, what I was unlearning, what I was curious about, and just the absolute freedom to use my time and attention, you know, obviously my free time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on on the things that I was drawn to and, and that I cared about. And that is when actually my greater awareness around social justice and uh, relationships and creativity and critical thinking and like all of those things were happening, mm-hmm. um, which was a few years, actually about four, four or five years before I did AmeriCorps. Mm. Amazing. And so it sounds like that's definitely the part of your life where you started to at least like actively question some of the status quo or societal norms and Definitely. Yeah, I'm curious, what, you know, if you want to share any of those sort of societal or um, norms that you really started to question at that time, um, what were you sort of rumbling with and trying to like, make peace with and find your way with? Yeah, I mean, those were the years when I learned more about how our world is constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is like, Okay, so like maybe in like when you're in high school or college, you're like, oh, you like learn about government or whatever. And it's this like very textbooky version. But when I was out of college and uh, particularly with my best friend at the time, who was a roommate that I randomly ended up living with, our sense of curiosity about what was happening in the world uh, was sort of running in parallel. So we were like reading a lot of books and learning a lot. So examples would be, um, there was a book called No Logo mm-hmm. by, I think her name was Naomi Klein. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the author's name exactly. I think that was her name. And it was talking a lot about the way that consumerism and materialism drive our society. Right. You know, I was learning about how many of our objects, particularly clothing, were like made in sweatshops. Mm -hmm. You know, we were learning about factory farming and like what was going on with our food supply and what was going on environmentally because of all of these things, Mm -hmm. um, as well as health wise, you know, all of these different areas of like reality about, you know, what is happening in the world that literally zero times in 16 years of education anyone ever told me yeah. or wanted to teach, you right. know? Right. And so those were many of the like status quo things that we were questioning mm-hmm. and discussing for like thousands of hours and like getting involved and doing activism and political stuff. And like, it was all of those things that are considered like socially normal that really need to be questioned and honestly redesigned. Hmm. I love that you say all the things that are really socially normal are generally the ones that need to be questioned and redesigned. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. It speaks to what not only this podcast is about, but your work and a lot of people's work is like, you know, flipping the flipping the um, 
flipping the table on what we've been fed, you know, our whole lives and what is okay and what's not okay. Um, and I'm curious now, like, what is something that you're still working on, on unlearning? I, I do look at unlearning as a process, an iterative thing, sometimes be unlearned by degrees. And, you know, we, we unlearn something one week and the next week we have to, we have to re- reframe ourselves around <laughs> it. So it's a, it's not a, you know, it's not a binary experience. It's really fluid. And, but I'm curious what you're still sort of unlearning or working on unlearning these days. Yeah, something that I I definitely agree with you that the process of unlearning is it's not a one shot deal. You know, it's like it's a mm-hmm. continual dance, like through the what what is it the uh, revolving door? Literally, <laughs> until eventually you're like, oh, I don't go through that door anymore. It's like that parable oh. about I walk down the street and I fall in the hole. You know that story? Yeah, yeah. And then eventually you learn to walk down another street. Um, and so <laughs> unlearning, yeah, it, it involves a variety of revisiting mm-hmm. of, oh, I, I care about this thing. I, I want to do that differently. Uh, I'm aware of this thing. I bring a different awareness to this. And so something, for example, that I'm continually, I think, keeping my awareness on and working on unlearning is the mindset around like productivity. Mm. So we live in a capitalist world that will never tell you to stop mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. So I have to decide for myself, especially as an entrepreneur, that when is enough? When is enough enough? When is it time for rest? When is it time for work? And having the freedom to explore that question and those boundaries is something that I'm in um continual dance with Mm -hmm. and that I feel very privileged and and blessed to be able to have some say around what those boundaries are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's a really big question that I think doesn't have one answer. And so I'm in a constant practice with like deciding like, Mm -hmm. what does enough look like today? What does enough look like this week? What does enough look like this month? And when is it when is time for rest and and what does rest look like uh to rest joyfully and guilt-free in a world that wants you to feel guilty for taking rest that Mm -hmm. wants you to feel like you're supposed to always be doing more Mm -hmm. Um, there's a really great author named devin price who wrote a great book about this called laziness does not exist and they Mm -hmm. describe like all of these lies that we've been told in our life which is there's always more that you can be doing Mm -hmm. there's always like more that you have to do there's um you know it's wrong to take rest it's lazy to take rest like all of these lies mm-hmm. and it's just not true if anyone out there is like dealing with that or trying to unlearn that i highly recommend that book it's really fantastic for questioning mm-hmm. those assumptions and really supporting you and having more rest and more balance yeah i'll definitely put those uh the two books you referenced so far in the show notes um, you know, around productivity, I also think it relates to this idea of like leisure and pleasure or even joy that mm-hmm. in this society, I feel like, you know, even if you think the way that we set up like learning for young children or like achieving goals, it's like we get pleasure when we complete something, you know, we get pleasure yes. or like praise when something is finished. And it's like, we yes. don't even know how to bake in pleasure and leisure and taking walks into the process of productivity. And like the radical thing is that that could actually help productivity. And like, I just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted at how deeply ingrained this is, even for myself as someone who's like, you know, just driven and wants to be, you know, engaged and successful with this world. But it's just 
every single day I'm like unlearning productivity and I'm also unlearning too, which I love that you spoke about the sense of enoughness. Um, I think about, um, Lynn Twist. I don't know if you know Lynn Twist. She wrote the book, The Soul of Money, and it's sort of an exploration mm -hmm. of, um, enoughness. And what I love about that is she says like the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance. The opposite of scarcity is sufficiency. And so the same mm -hmm. like every single day, like, can I ask myself, like, do I have enough food today? <laughs> do I have enough sunlight today? And just like that helps me. I don't know if anyone, if anyone's listening, that helps them, but it helps me really ground myself in like what is enough. And yeah, sufficiency is a concept we don't often think about, you know, um, or talk about enough, but yeah. I like that. I like that. And, um, and I'm loving that you're capturing all these great like book recommendations and things yeah. too. Another thing around productivity you reminded me of, I had a conversation with Jocelyn K. Gly from Hurry Slowly. And she, she has a quote that I have literally written across like the top of my whiteboard that says productivity is about what you don't do. Mm, I love and that's that. like a very interesting way to think about like, it's not about doing everything. Mm. It's about the decisions you make about what will and won't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a really valuable reminder. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to put, put that on my board right here to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but I live by quotes and words and, and sort of like mantras and certain things really help me shift, you know, get out of the spiral of, um, you know, whether it be productivity being, you know, too much or even procrastination. Um, I find that they all can mesh together for sure. So I'd love yeah. to talk a lot about um, the work you do these days around fostering connection and relationships, and particularly adult relationships. Um, I'd like to know just for you, I know this is, I'm sure it's been iterative and evolving for you too in your own personal life, but you know, in your work and, and how you think of it now, what does successful connection and friendship and community look and feel like to you these days? I think it's a very personal decision. And so I will, before answering, I'll caveat this to say like my answer here is really my mm -hmm. measure. Um, and it's, and I don't believe that there's any one definition to a question like this that applies to everybody. Because if there's anything I've learned spending the last several years researching and writing this book around friendship is that our experience of connection and our experience of friendship and our experience of loneliness and all of those things and how they interrelate is, is a very personal and subjective experience. Like mm -hmm. what's enough to me might be insufficient to you, right? Mm -hmm. And what's enough for me might also be overwhelming for you. Mm -hmm. So it's very important, I think, for folks to make sure that they're checking in internally with themselves with like what feels mm -hmm. like the right amount mm -hmm. for connection, friendship, community, and not necessarily what it is for someone else. So with that said, um, for me, the measure or balance that I use to sort of figure out like, does this feel well, right? Is this, is this healthy and well? Is if I have access to the amount and the type of connection that I'm wishing for when I need it or when I want to experience it and that I can then access it without confusion or hesitation. Mm. And what I mean by that is sometimes there's confusion of like, oh, who do I, you know, who should I reach out to? Who's available? Who, mm -hmm. who is okay hearing from me like spontaneously, mm -hmm. you know, or we have hesitation of like, oh, is it okay to reach out to them? It's been a while. Or like, am I interrupting them? Like all of those little, like, you know, distracting thoughts that would get in the way are absent, 
That's what I mean. Like none mm -hmm. of those are there. And instead there's mm -hmm. this full flowing, like a conduit of energy. And of mm -hmm. course it's okay to reach out and, and whenever they're free or if they're free in that moment, whatever mm -hmm. we connect. Um, but it's, it's that combination of like the access, the right amount and type of connection, the need or desire for connection, and then the ability to reach for it without confusion or hesitation. I really appreciate that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you for sharing that. And I also love, again, your sort of, um, you know, helping sort of people understand the buffer that what works for you may not always work for them and that we all really need to find our sense of, um, you know, bio-individuality with this. And that I think that that's actually something really interesting is another one of my guests, Luke Burgess, he wrote the book Wanting and he talks about mimetic theory and how we're imitative creatures. And, you know, we, we see people gathering at parties and we think, oh, I should be there. That should be my social community. But that may not actually work for our nervous system or what we want. So I do yeah. love that you said that because I think that we tend to, I guess copycat is the word, but I mean that in the kindest, most human way is that we tend to just do what everyone else is doing. So appreciate that nuance there. And then what really struck me about your response was this sense of safety to be, well, I'm implying it as the word safety, this ability to reach out to the right people um, without hesitation. I think that's a really, really interesting dynamic when you think about like inner safety and um, sort of psychological safety within a friend group or a community. Um, how, how do you think people might know if they don't feel safe to reach out? Like if they don't feel, you know, what might happen? Might it be like, too much um sort of like rationalization afraid of not being invited to the party like what are some things that people might look out for if they don't actually feel safe to reach out to their community i'd like to draw a distinction between safety mm -hmm. and discomfort mm -hmm. and so when you use the word safety or they don't feel safe I'm interpreting that as discomfort because there's a real difference. Mm -hmm. There is a very real difference between mm -hmm. being in an unsafe situation and actually just feeling a bit uncomfortable right. to follow through with something, right? Mm -hmm. So are you talking about safety or are you talking about the discomfort of, of not knowing like what to do or feeling you know shy or hesitant or... Yeah. Confusion or yeah, I mean, it's a good distinction sort of to, to flesh that out. I guess I, I was feeling or like interpreting it as like if someone's hesitant to reach out to like hang out with a friend or that they might just feel like maybe the, you know, anticipatory rejection or anticipatory grief that this person isn't available or they don't want to hang out with mm -hmm. them. And so I think those things, those like through through lines of, you know, anxiety, if you will, kind of sure. present as discomfort and can feel like someone isn't really welcome in a tribe or a community. And so, um, yeah. It, sure. it, so if someone feels discomfort, like what, what might they look out for, you know, in mm -hmm. their behavior and their thoughts and their feelings that they can actually understand if this is the right, you know, relationship to nourish or if it needs, you know, some TLC. Yes. Yes, for sure. Thanks for clarifying the distinction. Cause it's true. Like we, might feel a sense of anxiety or hesitation or fear of rejection mm -hmm. or all of those things can come up when we're putting ourselves out there or taking a risk uh, socially, emotionally, relationally. Mm -hmm. uh, that's real. All of that is very real. And it happens to, I don't know, a single person that it doesn't <laughs> happen to. Um, and there's a, a mantra that I think is really effective <laughs> if you're facing that and you're trying to push yourself, you know, 
to to make take the risk, be brave, like do the thing. Um, and it's just to don't believe everything that you think, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, one thing a lot of folks tell me is they're like, oh, I want to invite this person to hang out or I want to reach out to them for connection. But I just I don't know if they like me or I don't know if if I'm cool enough or I don't know if if they want to hear from me or I don't want to be a bother. It's like there's so many little bricks we put in this wall to mm. prevent ourselves from getting close to the other person. Right. And it's like maybe those things you're thinking are actually not true. Mm -hmm. Maybe that person is actually going to be so delighted that you reached out to them and so happy that you mm -hmm. invited them. Mm -hmm. Because think about how good you feel when mm -hmm. someone reaches out to you or invites you or says, hey, I'm thinking of you. It feels really good, yeah. you know? So acknowledge that like that is a gift that you're offering the other person. That is the opportunity to feel desired, to feel appreciated, to feel right. uh, worthy of inclusion. Like that is literally what you are offering another person when you do that. And you know what? If they're not available or they're not interested, cool. You just did another rep on mm -hmm. the like mm -hmm. building your muscles for reaching out for connection and you can do another rep and reach out to another person. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I, I respond to reps because as an athlete, I'm always thinking about like, you know, one more, you know, exercising that neural pathway and that muscle. It's like, if we can build that muscle of optimism yeah. that even just by asking someone else could feel welcome and someone else could feel like, you know, wanted to be a part of that community too. I, I think we take that for granted and um, I also think I'm curious what your thoughts are around this within friendships, adult friendships, what you feel around this idea of being generous with our sort of intention of others. I think you're sort of speaking to that, that, you know, that they might actually want to hang out with you, that they might actually feel the same sense of relief that you feel when, you know, uh, a friend date comes to fruition. But just being generous with, you know, our our the, the way that we view people and the way that people view us, like instead of, again, skeptical or anxious or, you know, just being thinking, thinking the highest of the people around us and how that might help foster, you know, deeper connection. Absolutely. And to when you're thinking highly about the people around you, include yourself, like you are also around you mm -hmm. and you can think highly of yourself as you go through that practice um, and to offer yourself some affirmation or validation in that process. It's important. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, um, how you find, you know, uh, the strength to reach out and create connection in sort of an increasingly divided and disconnected world, um, how you do it and maybe the, the tips that you have for others or people who are listening. Yeah, this one really just comes down to acknowledging that we play a role in the creation of the world that we live in, mm -hmm. right? So I don't want to live in a really disconnected or divided world. It doesn't feel good to do that. It feels, uh, it feels lonely. It feels upsetting. It feels distracting. Uh, it feels defeating. Like there's just, there's not a lot of good feelings that come from the experience of living in a really divided and disconnected world. And I think we're aware of that. And we're also, we've seen like the dangers of what can happen when we live in a ever more like polarized or divided world. And so, then we say like, well, what kind of world do we want to live in and what's going to be required of us to help bring that to fruition, to bring that to reality? What do we have to do? How do we show up? Mm -hmm. How do we re interact with others? What, what are the invitations we extend? 
how patient are we when we listen? Like how much do we want to feel connection versus want to feel correct Mm. or right? Mm. Um, Those sorts of things, you know, all of that has come up. And I think that for a lot of us, myself included, like the pandemic has brought us a lot of opportunities to evaluate like how we experience that and how we participate in that too. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm curious, as you were speaking, I was thinking of this idea of, you know, again, within this pandemic, I think it's highlighted our societal disconnection. Um, and in some ways, it's brought us to new places and new avenues to find ways to connect. And, you know, um, there's been a lot of bodies of work, again, on productivity and hurry slowly, or what was the book you mentioned? Hurry, hurry slowly. It's a podcast, okay. Hurry Slowly by Jocelyn Gly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just this idea. Oh, that's okay. So I think it's hard to know, but in your work, because this is like, you know, human connection and relationships are, are what you do and a lot of what you focus on. Do you feel like we have more tools in our tool belt the last couple of years um, to connect and to find community than we did before? Like has the, has the pandemic era helped us resource and diversify our ability to connect or has it hindered it more? I mean, obviously this isn't like a concrete answer. It's more of like a, um, you know, something we can just open up, but I'm just curious if you have thoughts on that. I think it's a little bit of both, you know, one beneficial thing is that as everyone in the world, honestly, um, was put into a constriction of our ability to, you know, be together, to be in space, to feel comfortable in gatherings, all of those things. Um, and particularly early in the pandemic when we had a lot of lockdowns mm-hmm. and a lot of like stay home orders and things like that, like we learned in a very, very visceral way, like how it feels when we cannot be together mm-hmm. and what we lose when mm-hmm. we cannot be together. And so everyone got a free education in how much connection matters. Yep. And so that's a tool that education is, is a valuable tool in your tool belt, you know, to say like, what are you going to do with that knowledge now? And another thing that's happened during the pandemic is that there's been a large number of tools that have actually been created to help people connect and to stay in touch. Like some of these were certainly available before, but I would, I would say the rate at which we've been using like zoom and like all of the different, like get together softwares that are out there now and like virtual conferences that are much more accessible because people can join from anywhere. Like there are so many more opportunities to connect across distance than there were before. And I think that's a really valuable thing that we can continue to use or or make use of uh, and learn from at this stage of the pandemic we're in right now, as well as at some, hopefully some after stage that we'll get to. Right, right. Um, And also realizing that the intentionality that we bring to our relationships and our friendships is a perspective, a purpose, a a clarity that we can hang on to. And those are also things that are useful to have in your toolbox, Mm -hmm. you know, after this time. One of the interesting conversations I've been having with the people in my audience lately has to do with social stamina. Mm. So one of the things people have said a lot in this pandemic is they don't feel like they have as much stamina for socializing Mm -hmm. as they did before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So 
before pandemic, they might've had like three, four lunches or happy hours that week and on the weekend a birthday party and a baby shower and a brunch and all these things. Whereas now people do like one outdoor hangout and they're like tired for a week yeah. or they have like a phone call and they're like, I need two days off. Literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, seriously, I get it. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and with that drinking of our stamina, then we say, well, what will you do mm. with the energy you have? Who will you connect with and with the energy and stamina that you have? And when you do spend time together, what do you want to fill it with? Yeah. Like what would be nourishing and not draining, you know, what would feel rejuvenating and connecting with the time and energy and space that you have in your life right now? Yeah. I, and that's a question that I think we should ask moving forward and beyond. Yeah, for sure. I think that's going to be a really generative question to ask as we think about, you know, in certain parts of the world, people coming together more and more, which is great, hopefully, um, that continues. And I think, you know, one of the things I realized too, I mean, I'm, I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and there's been a lot of, in New York, the first year, especially a lot of lockdowns and like stay at home. And I remember one of the emotions I felt one of the first emotions I felt that was really new for me and quite different than a lot of the other emotions like fear and anxiety was, you know, anger, this sense of like um, things had been taken from me, you know, this sense of like community and just touch, human touch. I think I went like four months once without a hug and I was like, what is this? This is crazy. You know, like, thank gosh I have cats, right? Or pets, but like, I don't know. It's, it's so when you think about, again, I think there's been so many sense, so many tools that have been added to our toolbox and a free education to your point and a different worldview on how we can make connection really intentional. I've also just found that it's brought up um, a deeper sense of reverence for like our communities, our families and the people we then get to choose to hang out with moving forward. And, you know, and I just think about that, that moment of like anger, it wasn't that I was mad. It was actually that I was grieving. You know? mm -hmm. And then I felt that I had to protect something, which might have been space or mental energy or whatever it may be. And um, yeah, so I had that moment of just like a new emotional experience that I didn't really love, frankly, but it did tell me something that I was, you know, I cared about. So um, I don't know if any if you've had any similar experiences or just this a new emotional landscape that's come from the last couple years, or if you've had similar experiences or people shared that with you that it's felt like, uh, you know, there's been a loss of a loss of connection, a loss of, you know, routine in that way. Definitely a loss of routine. And with that, right, whenever our, our routine or, or our, our comfort spaces are shaken up mm -hmm. or disrupted, yeah, it's natural to feel angry or to go through all the stages of grief around that. Um, and all of those emotions are teachers, mm -hmm. right? Every emotion is a teacher. And perhaps in like the example you just gave around realizing, okay, first I felt angry and then mm -hmm. actually I realized I was grieving the loss of, of touch and the ability, you know, these abilities that were there before. Um, what that shows is like what you value, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What that shows is what you care about and what, what you cherish even. Mm -hmm. And so when we get into a conversation with our emotions where we don't fight the thing we're feeling and instead say like, what are you trying to show me? Mm -hmm. Like, what did you show up here today to teach me? Yeah. Like, what is it you want me to pay attention to? Mm -hmm. 
that's a really different kind of relationship to be in with our emotions than to be like, oh, I like this emotion. I don't like this emotion. Mm -hmm. This one feels good. This one feels bad. I want more of this one. I don't want more of this one. It's like, what if you instead just say like, what is this here to show me that I value? Mm -hmm. I love that question. It reminds me a little bit about Susan David's work. I think she has a book on emotional agility and she says like emotions are data. They're not directives. And so if we can like to your point, just say like, what are you here to show me? What what do I, what is it that you value or that you need? Um, I think it kind of deescalates the moment and allows us to express and like really understand again where our values are. Um, so I have a few more questions around adult friendships, right? I've moved a bunch in my life. I've lived in different countries and moved around. And, you know, like all of us, we go through different sort of groups of friend cycles, like where you're really close to people for a couple of years and then they get married and move away and you have to recreate community. Um, I remember a few times moving around and I was like, you know, as a kid, I never thought it was hard to make friends because you're just, you're put into these worlds that facilitate that. And if you do work alone, if you're an entrepreneur, like I know you are, and I have been at times in my life too, it's like, I always joke with my other friends. I'm like, how do we make friends? Do we just walk up to people and say like, let's hang out? Like it's so, what are some like really practical and fun tips you have for just making adult friendships and, and fostering them in a way that um, feels fun and authentic for people? So the first thing is to acknowledge if you need to do a little bit of unlearning around the expectation that a friendship should only happen organically and magically with no effort at all. Because yeah. uh, maybe that's how it was, like you said, when we were kids and we're in situations as kids that literally push us towards making friends. It's like, go outside and play on the playground, make a friend. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, uh, go to this play date, hang out at this school. Like you're going to have a lot of, uh, eat lunch with all these kids. You know, there's so many circumstantial environmental settings to make friends as kids that really aren't there as adults. And so maintaining and building and growing them and starting them, it all really takes intentional effort. Um, certainly, you know, the example you gave of like just walking up to someone and asking them to hang out might freak them out. You know, oh, if yeah. you just walk up and be like, hey, will you be my friend? Like, yeah, yeah. Probably going to freak them out. They might say no. Yeah. Um, but by bringing some intention to the way we create an invitation and also being intentional in when and who you offer that invitation to, mm -hmm. you're a lot more likely to get a yes. Mm -hmm. um, and the sooner we accept that it's going to take some creativity and flexibility in how we approach these things, the more likely we are to be successful in building and maintaining these friendships. So in the book, uh, We Should Get Together, I have an entire section that relates to the example you gave of hyper, what I call hypermobility mm -hmm. in the book, which is people moving mm -hmm. all the time, right? Moving in and out of cities, countries, states, like whatever. And the sense of like, how do I make a friend when literally the target keeps moving? Like they, they, they're here and then they're gone in six months. And how do we find a sense of belonging and place mm -hmm. and connection and community when we feel that sense of movement from the people around us. And we also may be participating in that movement ourselves. We might be, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm moving next month or I'm gonna be out of the state or whatever it is. Um, it takes a different level of creativity and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And it is possible to absolutely create and maintain those friendships by 
acknowledging mm -hmm. that this is happening <laughs> and then being purposeful around how how and to whom we connect with. So one example I give that I uh, recommend in that kind of situation is to ask yourself, you know, Lisa, like if you knew that you were going to live at your current address for the rest of your life, what would you do differently in your approach to making friendship mm. and community? Mm -hmm. And whatever the answer to that question is, start doing those things right now. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I also so really, maybe... or go ahead. Sorry. I think we, I was going to say, so maybe in that case, it would be you want to connect with the other people in the apartment building, or like you have two friends from college who you know live in your borough, but you haven't reached out to them yet, but you realize I'm staying here forever. So maybe I want to reach out to them and they reconnect. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what would it be? I'm curious, like, what would the answer be for you? Oh, geez. I mean, to me, I think uh, I, I'm lucky I have a really cool network here of people. Um, I live in an, a really quiet area of Brooklyn, but there's like, probably 20 or 30 different people who are within a mile radius of me that I've known for the last decade or so. And it's, it's lucky. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. And, and a lot of times these relationships have evolved, people become parents or they, you know, some escaped during the pandemic and came back. So it's been sort of this transient experience. Um, I, you know, I, I think for me, it would be, I, I've been thinking a lot and talking to some other friends of mine, just more in this idea of like service and showing up in the community. So couple friends and I are working towards like being volunteers at hospice centers and just being a part of like the pulse of the community. That isn't just my age, my demographic is understanding the different layers of people that are around you all the time, which I think is frankly a breath of fresh air. And it feels aligned with like some of the work we all do individually. So, I mean, that was one thing that's been coming up for me too. And, uh, you know, I'm also very active. So I'm always interested in like joining different, like, you know, sports communities or um, things like that. So I think those are things that are, that are top of mind for me these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a newsletter a couple of weeks ago that was on the topic of how volunteering is like such a valuable source of friendship that mm -hmm. many people overlook mm -hmm. because it gets you connected to your community it introduces you to people who live sometimes on your street uh, if not like walking distance away mm -hmm. and that is one of the proximity is one of the uh what i call the seeds of connection they like really really help it be easier for you mm -hmm. to make and maintain a friend is if they are actually within walking distance mm. And it doesn't mean you can't have your valuable friends who live in all the way across the world and you take a big plane to see them. But like in terms of ease of access, what could be better, right? Yeah. It actually just reminds me, I once a month I do um, a co-op shift. So I'm a part of the Park Slope co-op here in New York and you have to you know work one shift uh, a month. And I actually love it because I get to like stock shelves and use my hands and get away from a computer and like make friends with random people. And there's nice. always a bunch of people who, you know, we know each other's names. We don't know anything else beyond that really per se yet because we see each other for this fleeting couple hours. But it does feel like this sense of, you know, community and it's very organic and you could show up one month and you have a whole new group of people who are working alongside you and you just start to make, it's not even small talk. It's like, you know, th there's different degrees of connection, obviously. So, but it does make you feel like, oh, I'm a part of this this community this week really deeply. Um, and when you go back to shop, you see people and you say hello. And I don't know, I've always been a huge fan of that. I mean, that, that's a, you know, a part of being the call because you have to work a shift, but I actually love it. <laughs> it makes me, you know, um, really appreciate it and, and not want to necessarily go back to like 
always shopping at Whole Foods and other places, which there could be moments of interaction there too, but it's different if you're working for the place, you know? So that's one thing I found to be really valuable here in New York. So, um, love that. yeah, I also love how you said it's an invitation. I kind of want to go back to that idea of, you know, fostering connection and fostering community by just intentionally thinking about things as invitations to other people, um, you know, when and where and how. And I think that's a really important thing for all of us to consider and sort of a breath of fresh air. It allows us to like step back and again, um, do things with intention versus reactively wanting to just fill up time, which I think is what a lot of us were doing before the pandemic. And now we, we've learned sometimes easier than others <laughs> that that's maybe the best way to move forward is to be intentional about that. Um, how do you think about, I guess inwardly, you know, you think about the transient nature of relationships and this world and hypermobility and people coming and going for good reasons and harder reasons. How do you feel like compassion or self-compassion plays a role in this as we are all looking for connection and friendship and yet things are quite transient and, and shifting all the time? Mm-hmm. This is where the flexibility part of the creativity plus flexibility as you as you go into that. Yeah. One of the benefits I can say of spending so much time researching this topic of connection and friendship during adulthood and hearing just so many hundreds of people's stories and understanding what this experience is like, one of the interesting side effects is that I have absorbed the uh, interpretation, I guess, that most of the time when someone says no, it is really not about you. Mm. And the majority of the time when someone's like fallen out of touch or you feel like you haven't heard from them or whatever, it is so not about you. And when you can look at it that way, and not take it personal, it's so much more joyful to navigate that relationship because there's no hard feelings. Mm. And when we have that sense of, you know, openness to connection without any kind of requirement or demand mm. or expectation, and you're not attached to a certain outcome, everything is so much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And that awareness or perspective is, has really only come from literally spending years in this topic and in this conversation and in this research to understand what is actually happening for people when they encounter these bumps in the road towards connection. Mm -hmm. And when you see that over and over, it's like, it's not about the person. It's not, you know, it's not like 99% of the time, it is not a person to person rejection. It is simply adults living busy lives with lots on their plates and many distractions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we forget to focus on our friendships. And so like they go a little quiet, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean they're gone. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean nobody wants to hear from you. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that. And um, one of the things also too, that I was thinking about, you know, reading some of your work and this idea of friendships that don't, you know, sometimes they go through periods of pause, you know, periods mm -hmm. of like, rest, if you will, and distance. And that sometimes that helps. Sometimes the relationship needs some space or some distance for whatever life reason or tension. But then when they come back, it's like this renewed love or, you know, and I think that yeah. that's, that's a breath of fresh air too, is that 
you know, again, it's not binary. Things don't begin and end forever. They might just shift and, and evolve, which I think is a really important thing for all of us to remember. And yeah. Absolutely. It's like, think about how good you feel when you hear a song that you haven't heard since college or high school. And it's like a song that used to be your favorite and it comes on and you're just like, yes, I yeah. love this song. It's like, that's how it could feel when you get to reconnect with that friend that you've been in a pause with or that they've been away. It's like, you're not mad. You're just so happy to be there again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like falling in love again, you know, in, in whatever dynamic and context that means for people, but it is a sense of revitalization that is we all need. Um, well, so your work, we should get together and your work around asking better questions is pivotal in this time. And I just want to thank you for doing the work you do, the research you do, and um, providing such practical and, you know, relatable tips for it. I think this is obviously an important time and period in human history, but broadly, I think it's always going to be applicable. And I'm excited to see, you know, how it evolves for you and your work and just to support you the best way I can. So thanks for coming on the podcast and, um, you know, well, I'll put all your information in the show notes and um, excited to share your work. Thank you so much for having me here today. This was a lovely conversation and I, I can't wait to hear the finished episode. Awesome. Thanks, Kat. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.